News. 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 New York City. FAQ. Welcome to FAQ NYC. I'm producer Alex Brooklyn here with Ozzy Pabra, Harry Siegel, and Christina Greer. Jumani Williams may be the happiest loser in New York right now. He narrowly lost a statewide race against the incumbent Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul. He only lost by 86,000 votes, not that many. Easily it outpaced his progressive ticket mates, Cynthia Nixon and Zephyr Teachout, who aimed to send a message to Governor Andrew Cuomo, move left or move out. Mission sort of accomplished? Now Jumani's back at his day job as city councilman, representing the central Brooklyn neighborhoods of Flatbush, Midwood, and Canarsie. Jumani shocked the party with how well he did. He spent way less money than Hochul and nearly won the race. Now a lot of people expect him to capitalize on his statewide success by running for public advocate. That is, of course, if Tish James leaves the seat open because she wins the attorney general race in November. That's November, November 6, 6, by, by the, the way. way. November 6. And the last day to register to vote is, is October 12th, 12, by, by the way. way. In New York. Anyway. As a city guy, Williams has been on the front lines concerning issues of immigration, stop and frisk, and racial profiling. Like, literally on the front lines. Williams has been arrested for civil disobedience a whole bunch of times. He shared with us his experience campaigning through the entire state, what he plans to do next, and why he feels Andrew Cuomo owes him an apology. You made it. I made it. You made it all the way here. Yeah, I, I, I did better than string. I heard. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out the gate! Wow, that was not the person I thought you would take a shot at first. But I, <laughs> but I like this. That's a reference to the stairs that you had to climb in yeah. order to get into FAQ Studio, <laughs> which is on the fourth floor. Walk up in our producer's apartment. You ran for lieutenant governor. I did. I didn't win. <laughs> but, you, but you came close. And Kathy Hochul spent a lot of her time on the campaign trail in Brooklyn. And you spent a portion of your time in the parts of the state, upstate New York, that places where you, we haven't been before. You're, you're a councilman re- representing central Brooklyn. Looking back on it, should you have spent more time in Brooklyn where a lot of the votes were sort of coming from? Or should you have spent more time in upstate New York? You came close. How would you sort of... We, re- made, uh, we made strategic decisions based on the money that we had. So remember, uh, she had uh, roughly $2.1 million. That's not including parts of Cuomo's $30 million that was spent on the ticket. And we raised about 320000 And so that's for an entire state. We actually hit most of the goals that we set. We wanted to, uh, we focused on three boroughs, Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. We won Brooklyn, we won Manhattan, uh, and we came very close to winning Queens. And we wanted to win New York City. We felt if we won New York City, we'd have a very good shot. We won New York City and got we got more votes than any non-white candidate ever in a state primary across the state, uh, which wasn't a goal we didn't set. I would never imagine to get that. We got most of our win number from New York City, which we didn't imagine as well. So we did most of what we expected to do. With the type of money we had, it would have been hard to get the message fully across uh, the um, the state, but we did travel upstate. We left no stone unturned. Uh, we won a couple of counties. So, to, to be honest, our race is probably the prototype for why incumbents don't want public financing. 
if we literally had an additional fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollars, we probably would have won that race. Where would you have gone with an extra hundred fifty thousand? Well, not only would I have traveled more, sure. uh, we had we had very minimum ads. We could have put out some additional ads uh, in other parts of the state. Uh, we went to Buffalo a few times, and the message was resonating. But you just you could only go and stay there, but for so many times. And we, like I said, we won Brooklyn, and we won Manhattan. We won it, you know, pretty in- impressively. Um, I, you know. As I told folks, I had I had expected to and was okay if I won. I expected it was okay if I lost. I didn't expect to win lose at the same time, <laughs> which is what happened. So it's a, like a funky situation right now when I'm trying to figure out what that means and what to do with it. So Cuomo's ticket sweeps the statewide races, and his allies pretty much from the former IDC get swept in the uh, state senate. So potentially we get through November. It's a very different picture in Albany next year. Like, do you think campaign finance reform maybe is coming? Uh, do, what do you see changing for the uh, for, for the country, the state, and the city if that happens? My hope at some point, the Democratic Party will get tired of giving. They'll be tired of the message being, let's vote against this and actually have something that people should vote for. Because uh, we have learned some very tough lessons about the you know vote against. And I'm hoping, you know, it, you know Cuomo became somebody almost unrecognizable during that uh, campaign and the things that he was saying he wanted to see happen. I'm hoping that, you know, the IDC folks will help keep him accountable. And this wave, although he tried, I guess what he, he, I guess it's shock. When you're in shock, you say silly things. He, he said it was just a ripple, um, but, but it was much more than a ripple. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and my hope is that uh, that wave continues and hopefully keeps folks accountable. I mean, what I got from that that night was that the message that, Folks like me and the IDC and the, the activists, that message is receptive if done properly, um, if uh, message right. And so I don't think that's going away anytime soon. I don't know at some point the pendulum might swing back, but I think it's here now. Mm-hmm. Have they reached out to you or have you reached out to Cuomo or Hochul or James since they've won? And if so, what have you all talked about? I spoke since to um, yeah. Kathy the night of. Um, I have not spoken to Cuomo I've spoken to um, Tish briefly. Um, mostly pleasantries. There hasn't been any, any deep um, policy stuff. I know everybody is focused on November, uh, as we should be, and we want to make sure that um, we sew up the Senate and the state for the Republicans, much less the, the federal government that we have focused on. And when you spoke to Kathy, um, you know, it's pleasantries, and obviously, you know, you're a professional, as is she. But at one point, you know, there's, you said there's an ad that Kathy ran against you describing your debt and financial history. And I think you either said it was racist or, you know, people um, who were following the race said it was a racist ad. Um, you want to talk a little bit more about that? The ad is just 30 seconds long. You see photos, Jamani Williams, and there's some tense violin music. On the screen, words start appearing. Jamani Williams owns $10,000 in taxes. Jamani Williams owes $600,000 for a loan on a failed business. Then, newspaper headlines appear. They're about Jamani's debt. And the sign-off message? Quote, if he can't manage his own finances, do you really want him managing yours? Question mark. End quote. You can still find the ad on Kathy Hochul's Twitter feed, where it was viewed 58,000 times. It was clear to me that race and class were what was being used. I refrained from using race the first time and let other folks do it. I focused on the class. When uh, Judith Hope, the former chair of the DNC, said that we have to, that they have to be 
afraid because I'm a charismatic young black man that kind of cemented that <laughs> the race part. Um, the Democratic Party, I believe, owes me an apology and owes a lot of people an apology. I'm not going to hold my breath uh, to get you try to move forward. And uh, sometimes it's unfortunate that race, when it comes to bigotry, plays a lesser part than it should be. I know a lot of folks, as they should be, are uh, focused on the uh, anti-Semitic mail that was put out to uh, on Cynthia. We have to focus on that. My hope is, though, that people remember the race attacks that happened as well. And it's it was it was hard to watch. Uh, but, you know, I've been black for pretty long, so some of these things happen. Uh, but to see someone like Byron Brown, who immediately took the, um, the lines that were being fed him when, the, um, when we were talking about my taxes, he said something about, oh, well, you know, the Democratic Party has principles, he has the father principles. He was silent when Judith Hope um, made those attacks, completely silent. And what I've seen is that the Democratic Party and even Cuomo, he doesn't have the vitriol and the hatred and bigotry of Donald Trump, but the tactics are, are very similar whether it's a bully, whether it's using race, whether it's using class. And the party needs to own that and change that. And would you say that the mailer and the attacks on you were of a piece in terms of how the party is proceeding under Cuomo? Absolutely, 100%, without equivocation. And it's strange because everybody sees it. <laughs> like If you have private conversations, everybody will tell you. But when silence happens, this is, this is what we got. And so it's quite clear. Nobody can argue against that. This is what the party did. This is what the party does. And this is what the party is doing. And people are allowing it to happen. But, ha you know, shout out to uh, Basil Smeichel, who is a uh, former executive director. He actually uh, spoke up on it. And I was happy to see that. This reminds me of some of the stuff that we're seeing now in the congressional race between Republican John Faso mm -hmm. and Antonio Delgado. He's referred to oftentimes as a big city rapper, yeah. although he's also best known as, I think, a Harvard grad, yeah. Rhodes Scholar, mm -hmm. many other accomplishments under his belt. And yet the attack line, it seems to very strongly imply a race and, and class kind of dimension into that race. Big city, big city rapper. Rapper Antonio Delgado. Delgado. Big city rapper. You've heard Antonio Delgado's extreme and offensive raps. Now Delgado admits he'd bring the same ideals to Congress, saying, listen to the content of the lyrics. My mission is clear. Profanity, misogyny, disturbingly radical. Attacking our democracy, mocking our values, Delgado's mission is clear. He can't be our voice in Congress. Congressional Leadership Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising. Big city politicians are crushing upstate families. Just like Governor Cuomo and Nancy Pelosi, big city rapper Antonio Delgado supports their radical government takeover of health care. Radical government takeover. Radical government takeover. Radical government takeover. Radical government takeover. Big city, big city rapper. Rapper Antonio Delgado. What parallels do you see between what happened to you and what you're seeing happening to Delgado? Tense violin music. I just described the parallels. It's the same thing. There was no different in the type of campaign that I see uh, the Democratic Party doing in New York State in particular and what the Republicans are doing. It's just, it's the same thing. It's fair bullying, race, class, pointing out someone else and saying we should be afraid. Why does that work? You, you, you would think it works in a, in a Republican primary because of vote, for, for a whole number of reasons. Are you surprised that it, that it seemed to work in a Democratic primary? I'm not surprised that fair works. I'm, I am surprised to the extent that people who hold positions that could push back, you know, I, I found that just 
me as an elected official, elected officials in general, we, we're generally more worried about the seat that we're holding than actually the people we're representing and, and the right thing to do. So that's been some of the things that's been tough for me to just accept, and people still laugh at me that I don't fully accept it, but I won't. I, but I will say this. It's also human nature. So if you go through history of time, you will find some leader saying the reason you are not benefiting or this and that is because of the other. Be afraid of this other. Let's deal with this other and, you know, don't look at the man behind the, the screen. And so but that has worked. It's a proven track record. And people like Cuomo have no problem using it. And, and, and the, the, the Faso Delgado raise, there's the, the ads that, that Faso and Republicans are running. Have you seen the ad? Um, so now I've seen uh, I've seen a similar type ad. I've heard about the um, the big city rapper. Um, I've heard about this is not the voice of, uh, of the person who should be uh, representing us or using our voice or something of that nature. And, you know, it's it's always easier when it's race because race is easily identifiable as the other, and so that makes things uh, a lot uh, a lot easier for folks. It's disgusting. It's unfortunate that it works. You know, I, what I found as I traveled the state, though, I mean, there, the thing when you're campaigning is you generally, for the most part, unless you go door knocking, you're probably with folks who agree with you um, to begin with. So when you go to campaign stops, so the energy was always high. Um, uh, we did well in some of those areas. We did well in, in Tompkins County, in Ithaca, and in Columbia. The energy was very high wherever we went, and people were very receptive to the message. We've allowed Republicans and conservatives to allow people to be afraid of things that are good for them. And so you have people saying, you know, get rid of Obamacare, uh, but I want to keep my health care. So, we have to do a better job of showing how... That doesn't make any sense, but but we get so focused on the incumbency protection stuff that we we, we we get lost on the message. I found that sincerity in 2018 is very popular, but, but people are receiving people who are sincere in what they believe. You know, I, at first I was you know you got to beat people with the progressive message, and I think you kind of do, but but you have to you have to translate it in a way that people can understand. Just because you are passionate about it doesn't mean you have to beat him over the head with the same exact words you would use in other places. Unless I, you know, have to, I've tried to adjust some of my language so that you won't stop listening to what I'm saying uh, while still giving the same message. You have Faso using the politics of fear and race and division, and you have Flanagan in the, trying to hold on to the state Senate very much doing the same and pretty openly right now. And you have Cuomo, the head of the Democratic Party, who you're saying is doing that, like, how do you go about changing this equation and, and, and converting people? You, you know, you were saying that, that a little more money just to get the message across would, would have helped and given you a platform in Albany. But, but how does that work outside the city and where people aren't always starting in alignment there, especially if it's across party lines, as you're describing it? What I also want to point out is uh, most places we actually did 60-40, which is, which is pretty good, I think, uh, for someone like me, just a councilman from Brooklyn. And in Tompkins and Columbia, uh, we actually won. My hope is that what happened on election night inspires folks. I don't think without myself, Cynthia, and Zephyr running that the IDC would have been voted out. I don't think anybody expected Jeff Klein to be voted out. I think that was a complete shock to most folks. And with my race, my hope is that it shows that it can be done. You don't have to be beholden to the county. You don't have to be terrified or so terrified of Cuomo. I think... You, you can, you, it showed that the people are actually hungry and receptive for this. We were outspent against almost every, probably yes, every county 
most elected officials and by the people who were supporting us and the most high, we, we did we did pretty well. What if we had just some electors with us? Like we did have some, so shout out to them. Um, but we had some additional ones or just even some counties. We, we just have to break out of this thing that we have to do it one way and people are receptive for it. So my, my hope is that of that night, people get inspired across the state because from what I saw, there was enough people to make, to, to, there was enough people to cause even more damage than we did. And that is clear. And they knew that about the amount of money that was spent. Money won this race. Not people excited about what they heard from Cuomo. It was money that won this. So you got and fear. And fear. I sort of want to like pick your brain about Cuomo. What did you learn about him running statewide? His strategy and tactics are much more like Trump than I had taken the time to think about. And not the vitriol, not the bigotry, but just uh, and then he's obviously more intelligent. Trump is not an intelligent person, but just how they deal with, you know, control and, and getting power is it's, it's it's incredible. It, to, to the point where there'll just be pure misinformation put out there, or there'll be one thing said today and completely different the next day. It's incredible. And and this may sound like a really cynical question, but looking at what the alternative is, right? And is that something that Democrats need in this current moment? An alternative. Someone who can play and be as effective as Cuomo. No. Um, we need somebody who is going to have, a, I think, a philosophical core and govern on that. And when that happens in the Democratic Party, we will help a lot of people. What we've been, what we should have learned from the Bernie Hillary, whomever you supported, was that there was a message that was resonating and if it was adopted, I think we'd be in a better position. But we stuck to the same old rote politics of incumbency protection and establishment politics. And we keep doing that. And that's why I said earlier, my hope is that at some point we'll adopt the message and be brave enough to hold on to that message of real progressive policies. There's a question that, that's in the front of my mind that I want to ask almost every Democrat, especially in light of what we're seeing in the Kavanaugh hearings, in light of what we're seeing in terms of Me Too. When you think about Bill Clinton, a person who's been around the Democratic Party for a long time and pops up in New York regularly, what do you think about him? I have issues with uh, Bill Clinton. I also have issues with President Obama, by the way. So, right. uh, but, but there's a lot of things that happened in the Clinton era that helped lead us here. And so I'm always quick to point out, like, you know, Donald Trump is not, he's a symptom of a larger problem. But there are Democrats across this country, governors, mayors, city council leaders across this country that have allowed the most horrific things and policies to occur in the places that they govern. And that includes former uh, Democratic presidents. So we got here not just because of Republicans. And we have to be clear about that. And we have to hold Democrats accountable. So you got your start with the Working Families Party. Um should the Working Families Party endorse Cuomo on Wednesday? And what can they ask for, if anything, in exchange for their support? First of all, off the bat, there are no good answers to what uh, the Working <laughs> Families Party should do. Like, seriously. Um, but I am, um, I got my start with the Working Families Party. I was, uh, I was batting a thousand, but I'm now three and four with the Working Families Party. Um, and my main concern is to make sure that the Working Family continues to exist. Uh, I think they're very important in making sure that we try to get Democrats to be 
who they say they are uh, on paper, because uh, I don't really see that happening uh, too often. And so it's it's, uh, it's important. To, now, there are issues with the Working Families Party. I'll be the first to say that and openly, and I have discussions. But the Democratic Party is not going to be the one that tells me about the problems with the Working Families Party um, at all. <laughs> so th- there's no problem with me supporting the Working Families Party and making sure that they uh, continue uh, to be uh, who they are and exist, I should say, and keep pulling on the Democratic Party to not be the party uh, that Cuomo has it being now and not being as parallel in terms of tactics with the Republicans. So there's no, I can't say there's any great answers. They all have their their pitfalls. Um, but I know whatever happens, I'm going to be voting on the Working Families Party line. Even if they decide to endorse Cuomo? I'm, I'm going to be voting on the Working Families Party line. <laughs> I need to make sure that that uh, party exists. You said Cuomo owes you an apology. What exactly do you, do you want to hear from him, and what if he doesn't give it to you? I don't expect him to. I don't expect the Byron Brown to. I don't expect the Democratic Party to. I do. Who uh, else should apologize? The Byron Brown should apologize. The Cuomo should apologize. I mean, I would. I would love to have apologies from Judith Hope, uh, even Kathy Hochul, uh, but the leaders of that party are Byron Brown and Andrew Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo's at the top, so they need to take a responsibility for what occurred under their leadership. I don't expect that to happen. I don't make movements on necessary people doing the right thing. I, I try to make movements on what I think is correct. And what is correct in November is to make sure that we don't have uh, Republicans in the Senate and we don't have a Republican governor. Moving forward, there's obviously a lot that <clears throat> is expected to happen come November, but one of those is the election of Tish James as attorney general. She has a Republican opponent, but the state being what it is, most people are expecting her to win. Congratulations to her. And that, I don't know if you noticed this, that might open up a vacancy for her. Really? Which one? What do you mean? I think Ozzy's calling it. <laughs> <laughs> so there might be a public advocate's office that is open. Um, if in November she wins that race, you said you're considering that office. I'm, I'm wondering if you can tell me. Um, I'm shocked that you'd ask me about this. <laughs> Just shocked in the poll. I figured a, a <laughs> fastball right down the middle to, to start off th- this section. Are you going to run for it? Uh, I am right now seriously considering it. I, I have to say this wasn't this wasn't on my mind at all uh, on election night. This wasn't on my, on my mind at all throughout the race. I'm in a position like I just didn't expect to be in this position. As I mentioned, I expected to win. I expected to lose. Uh, I would prefer to win, but I was I was ready to lose and ready to you know start figuring out right. what was going to happen next. PA public advocate just wasn't part of it. Right. It's it's weird because I actually was using the public advocate as an example when I was talking about lieutenant governor, um, and for a while, you know, years before it was something that I was looking at, um, but it wasn't now. And so in the win lose situation, I have to now seriously consider it, and I am, and I'm also just not used to being the space of so many people. <laughs> either pushing me to run or hoping I run. Like, that's weird. I'm, I'm usually... Who's, who's pushing you? I just, I see a lot. I hear a lot. And I get a lot of phone calls. <laughs> what, what, is, what is this? Like, just like voices in the air? Voices in the air. I mean, it's funny because most... Who, who is calling you on your phone? For real. <laughs> I would say it's... His phone is right most, there. Let's see. I know. <laughs> most elected officials... So most elected officials always talk about, you know, so-and-so asked me to run. And I've never said that because this wasn't true. I, like, I wanted to run for city council. <laughs> right. And right. I wanted to run for the governor. Like, no one asked you. <laughs> but... But this time is different. I mean, I'm used to running uphill against the wind with weights on. So, I, I, you know, that's... I saw you go up the stairs to, to get here, fourth floor. <laughs> uh, so to be in a position where people are actually pushing is a weird space that I have to adjust to because I'm not 
that's it, not a space I'm, 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 I'm even. You, you, you ran with Cynthia Nixon and Zephyr Teachout. You and Cynthia Nixon were endorsed by the Working Families Party. They sort of nodded at every candidate in the AG's race, mm-hmm. right? Tish James, who also has had issues in the past raising money and sort of joined an establishment and, and won this race is in now, like, 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 what lessons do you take from that? And as you're thinking about potentially being the person people are talking to about running and, and instead of uh, instead of running uphill? I, I'm very proud of the race. Uh, Cynthia, myself, and uh, Zephyr ran. Tish James had a very historic win. It means I think it means a lot of things to a lot of people in New York City uh, in the communities that she's always spoken up for. But, uh, so um, my hope is that, like Ozzy said, I will be our, our next uh, attorney general. I'm going to try to maintain who I am throughout my entire electoral career. So I'm, I'm, I'm okay with having lost the race the way I lost it. Uh, I'm okay with that. I know you're not, and you're sort of considering the public advocates race. Um, it's a unique job that New York City has and many other cities don't have. There's been Mark Green, Betsy Gottbaum, Bill de Blasio, uh, Tis James. How would you rank those public advocates? I would not. Why not? <laughs> because there's absolutely no benefit to ranking it on this show. But I would say... Uh, <laughs> you could rank it afterwards. I would say that, it's, it's, as, you, as you mentioned, it, it's been defined by, by the occupant that was there. And so and I do think Tish tried uh, very much use it in a way that was checking uh, um, parts of government that maybe hadn't been checked in, in a while. I think it's particularly important that, you know, whoever the next public advocate is, there's a lot of names out there, that it not be used as a stepping stone to somewhere, but somewhere else, not to say any of the uh, public advocates did that. But I know a lot of people and names I've heard None what in are particular. Some of the names you've heard? Oh, we've all heard them. Ma- well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you've heard. I know what I've heard. <laughs> well, I don't want to say it because now it's going to seem like those are people I'm talking about. I'm just saying that I want to make sure that people look at this thing not as someone who's going to use this to step somewhere else, but who's going to, you know, use this for the way it was intended, which is to lift the voices of people and to advocate for the public, irrespective of whether it's politically popular or not to do so. The purpose of the uh, the office, as I understand it, was like a pity prize for, for Andrew Stein when they took away the city council president that, that has basically no powers, a limited staff, and no platform, which is why people want it as a jumping off point. So I'm not downstairs, but, but let me just ask, right, like, like your views of using your offices to not just to pass legislation or to challenge other powers, but to, uh, to, but to draw attention to causes, uh, to sometimes be in a more adversarial role than, uh, than people have been used to from electeds. Yeah, I think you just described me. So, uh, uh, everybody says they're not focused on anything else except the job that they have. Um, usually that's not completely 100% honest, but, I mean, it might be for a lot of folks. Like, like me, I'm saying I was not focused on public advocacy. I really wasn't. I was focused right. on lieutenant governor. But I would, you know, for me, I would just look at my past, uh, the past 10 years I've had in the city council, and you look at the decisions I make. A lot of folks said a lot of the decisions I make were bad for my career. <laughs> like, uh, the decisions and things I would speak up on they were bad for career. Don't do this. Like what? Well, first of all, when we talked about stop, question, and frisk, people need to remember how hard it was to talk about that back then. Talking about something like um, three, uh, uh, have three terms for counsel as you're running for speaker is probably not the things you'd... Or voting against you know, members' uh, land use because it's damaging to the rest of the city. Those are not things you do... Have you voted against 
land use deals or have you abstained? I abstained in most. When it's really bad, I've uh, I've voted against. So I definitely voted against. Like which one? I voted one against one recently. But, <laughs> okay. uh, but the, so my so I voted against MIH, which I think is bad. Uh, the mayor and the city council failed on that. But my hope is that the city council will reopen it. M M M M I I I I H H H H H. Mandatory inclusionary housing. In short, whenever someone asks to build an apartment building bigger than what is currently allowed, the city is like, okay. We'll let you, but in exchange, you have to also add into that building apartments that are permanently affordable so that it's not just rich people moving into the area. MIH, there's an option that's one that has the lowest, deepest AMIs. Area so median income. Area median income. Which qualifies uh, people for affordable yeah. housing. So even though it's not great, I generally, if people have that option, I'll generally support that. But if they don't, I'm either going to abstain or, or vote no. But, but so, so most of my decisions haven't been what people would normally say, quote unquote, but is safe. And I've been told I'm too principled to go to higher office. I've been told that a lot. And I'm okay with that if that's what happens. But I'm going to keep doing the best I can to bring principle back to politics. <laughs> I think it belongs there. Um, I think we're about to get into the lightning round set of questions. Oh, Lord. Lightning. Lightning round. Number one. Were you surprised to see Democratic Socialist Nami Konst announce last week that she's running for public advocate if Letitia James wins AG? Yes. Okay. <laughs> this was pretty lightning. All right. Out of the many people who say they're considering a run, name one who you admire. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, your friend Kirsten John Foy also. Oh, that's easy, Kirsten. After, yeah. Oh, too Kirsten. late. No, no. no. We're, we're, we're on to the next question. Kirsten, I, your oh, friend Kirsten John Foy also says he's considering a run. Would one of you clear the way for the other, or could you end up fighting for the position? Uh, first of all, Kirsten is my brother. Um, it's a, just a brother from another, so it's not. It's more than a friendship. Uh, we're not going to run against each other. Well, that answers that. Have you ever been blackout drunk? No. I have. Um, what <laughs> arrest? I don't think. Maybe once. Maybe once. What arrest <laughs> as a public servant are you most proud of? The one that was the most impactful to me, though, was the Robbie Ragbear one. It wasn't planned. It wasn't. That was the one that had the, the nexus between the civil disobedience and actually getting something done was the closest um, that's ever happened. And the response from that, particularly from young people, was particularly uh, impactful. Can for those of us who don't know, can you tell us that story? Uh, Robbie Ragbear, they were uh, basically trying to kidnap him from 26 Federal Plaza using an ambulance, and 18 of us that day, myself, Edonis Rodriguez, council member, and 16 other people jumped uh, in uh, front of the ambulance and to prevent his deportation. Because of what we did there, it actually got us some time, some attention, and Robbie's still here. It was the scariest civil disobedience I ever took part of. The violence that came up from, from uh, I thought it was only NYPD. I, didn't, I learned later that it was NYPD and I say just flinging us left and right. It was pretty scary. And uh, I think that's it for our lightning round. But I do, I do want to give another shout out to my to my brother Kirsten and all the great work he's done uh, on civil rights issues. And uh, Ace Boone Coon, so I, don't, I can't say anything good about him. Why wouldn't you two be in the same race? That's my brother. So we do, uh, you know, I have a lot of admiration for him. It's just not his family. But, but, but what is it about campaigning that makes friendships something that, that you wouldn't want to put into that race? Like, well, like I said, it's a brotherhood. So, uh, you but just, can't friends campaign for the same office? 
Yeah, but why why would you? There's there's some things that are, are more important than politics. You can have friends who are on the same beat competing for stories. You, you keep using the word friend though, and I just want to yeah. You refer to him as as yeah. as like a very close it's my almost brother. like a family one. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I I think that there's there's no way we would do that. Because campaigning means you have to criticize your opponent or you, you do it. I mean, it it just gets to a point where it's very tense and that's probably not healthy for a family. I don't I, yeah. I've never run for office, so I don't know. Yeah, I know. By the, by the <laughs> question. <laughs> never I, run for office yet. Ah, yeah. I, I have you lost Armani's vote. You're going to drive Alex a little bit crazy. But <laughs> one last question, because there's a little bit of breaking news happening tonight. The Working Families Party, which you know and love, apparently has uh, substituted you and put you up to run for the state senate against Simca Felder. Um, it's not final yet. But that all that stuff is there uh, contingent upon what happens tomorrow. Would you actively run, and why does somebody other than Simka Felder need to represent that district? So, the working party, families party has legality. So, if I am remaining on there, I would remain. If they make a decision, if the party says we want to have someone else on there, then I have to be removed. To legally be removed, I have to run against someone else. I happen to live in Simcafelder's district, I would not be actively uh, campaigning. Wouldn't it send a bigger signal to stay on the line and sort of give a place for people to say, hey, Cuomo, thanks, but hold my nose and vote this other way? Why not? Why not stay on the line? Yeah, why not stay well, it's on the line? So, so, so right. one, it's not totally my decision. There's a, there's a whole process that, that the Working Families Party is going through. I am the candidate, but they have state committee. They've had meetings. They're going to have a legally required vote tomorrow. Um, and as I said at the beginning, there are there are um, pathways for each, right. and none of them are perfect. <laughs> so, so yeah. Felder is a Democrat, sort of, who, you know, caucuses with the Republicans. So he is part of the, the problem that I think a lot of the reformers, yourself included, were going after. Way out, or otherwise we might speculate about it later, because I, I think I have some answers, why it is that you wouldn't actively run in that setting, given his politics. Well, I'm, I, if this were to happen. I yeah. just really have no uh, interest in running for state senate. Uh, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's the, the, number uh. One, uh, the number one thing. That's not what I'm interested in. But Simka Felder and his politics are definitely a problem and have, have been an issue. I voted for Blake Morris. Could you beat him? From that in that seat, I don't feel particularly confident. But I, I, anything I do, I think I can win. So if I was going to run, I guess. But I just, I'm not even. There's no fathoming of campaigning for state senate seat. I I gotta tell you, I would just love to see that debate. Ha <laughs> ha! That would be awesome. Simka's fun. <laughs> sure. like, yeah, Simka's fun. Yeah, that would be that would be an awesome debate. Well, thank you, Councilman. Peace, y'all. Thank y'all. F A Q. Kevin Fagan, Director of Communications, rocking the clip-on bow tie. With his boss, Councilman Jamani Williams, who is wearing a blazer and a backpack. Which is what you do when you're like, oh, hi, Jay. I just happened to be strolling into your set to discuss today's <laughs> events and my newest movie, Blazer and Bowtie. Well, I will say, you know, my students and I had a long discussion about his ad because he had a T-shirt on in the ad. And I thought it should have been a collared shirt, but they loved the T-shirt. They thought it was relatable and hip. And it really resonated with them. Wait, you thought it should be like a collared, like a polo? Something not a white tee. 
Mm. I have a question. Would you have preferred a collared shirt if the collar was popped? Popped collar a la a John Hughes film. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. David, no. Ke- no, uh, Kevin. Um, who? James Spade. James Spader. No, no, James Spader. Yeah. So basically a popped collar like James Spader, hot pink or light pink polo. Yeah, no. salmon. <laughs> FAQ was brought to you today by a collection of bow ties. It was brought to you by Backpack and Blazer. It was brought to you by Blazer and Bowtie. I thought it was Bowtie and Blazer. We are FAQ, brought to you by a grant from Civil, a blockchain company rewriting journalism to connect journalists and readers without ads. I just got that joke, rewriting journalism. Oh, it wasn't a joke, but take it that way. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) News. 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 New York City. F. A. Q.